0: Hey, guys, and welcome back to another Iron Will podcast with me, Shane Warner, and John Chase. So what this podcast is all about is we are trying to get stories from people that have been through a traumatic experience in their lives and came out a different person.
1: Yeah, they have all created an Iron Will. So what is an Iron Will? A burning determination that cannot be stopped or hindered by anything, willing to do anything to get a desired outcome, extremely resilient. So what we like to say is we like to say, just keep punching. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So each time we interview a person on this Iron Will podcast,
1: that's the types of things that we're looking to get out of them is... We want to make sure that we, we understand their story, what they've gone through, because people have gone through a lot of hard things, right? We want to know how they've, what they've gone through, how they've overcome it, and then what they're doing now to give back. And if you
0: or anyone you know has a story that they would like to share on the podcast, my email address is shawarn at gmail.com. And you can send me an email, and we'll get that person on the podcast. Right on. So sit back and relax, and we're going to start the show. We had some unfortunate news regarding Hannah Morales, and John's going to
1: tell you a little bit more about that. So after all the things that she's gone through and, and uh, being, being hit before, uh, on her bike she actually just got hit again um, unfortunately and uh, she was put into the ICU uh, she has a long road ahead of her um, we're hoping that um, we can have her on here again at some point uh, we just want everybody to you know put their their thoughts out and positive energy uh, towards her and hopefully that she has a great recovery we're not sure the details at this point but just want to keep a positive mindset and and uh spread that to her her direction and uh hopefully we'll we'll have her on here again and she can share her experience
0: yeah um that's just just unfortunate unfortunate yes but shifting gears now um so i wanted to introduce this week's guest he is a 20-year army vet and my good friend doug Myers.
1: hey how you doing guys how you doing we're doing good
2: man what's up
1: I'm doing well.
2: I'm just hanging out in my garage, talking <laughs> to two really cool people on a really cool podcast <laughs> that I've really enjoyed over the last couple of weeks.
0: Awesome! That's uh, really good to hear. So, I want you to start off by telling me how was going to school at Spanish Fork High School, home of the Don's.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the, Dons. <laughs> the Mighty Spanish Nobleman. Um, I was not a good student, so (laughs) most people who remember me from that phase in my life um, probably don't have too many positive memories. We'll say Um, there was a lot of turmoil in my life at that particular point in time. You know, I I don't want to point fingers at anybody. You know, because people are I'm different than I was twenty years ago. So people are probably a little different than they were twenty years ago. But um, the biggest thing for me was. I didn't have any, there was a lot of turmoil in my life and I didn't have any self-confidence. I didn't really understand, um, what I was capable of. And, um, with some of the reinforcement I was receiving, I, I didn't feel like I was capable of much. So did you have, it it kind of turned in,
0: did you have a father living at your house or?
2: I did. I did. My dad is, you know, he's kind of that older school generation that I think, um, you know, a lot of people can identify with. You yeah. know, uh, talks very little, just kinda of put his head down, went to work every day. And he did a really good job for our family, you know, like I you always know, had clothes on my back, a week over my head.
0: Yep. Food you know, was, was always on, on the table.
2: Um, you know. And it, it like any family dynamic, it was complicated, you know, so to to, to boil to boil an entire family down into an hour long podcast, I don't know that we would get much farther than that. <laughs> um, you know, but but there was turmoil. You know, my my mother um, experienced a lot of uh, mental health issues, so that very much colored my perspective. You know, and I, I just wasn't a confident person. You know, to to your point, um, there was a lot of great people too that helped me out. Um, one lady in particular, her name is Carrie Christensen. She was a uh, she was called the resource counselor yeah. um, mm-hmm. at, at the high school. And uh, that woman has made such a deep impact on my life that I can't even begin to uh, describe or uh, even know where to stop when trying to thank her for, for all the effort she's been. I think she saw something in me and, um, you know, she didn't give up on me. And so. I was able to, there in turn, not give up on myself, which yeah. was very important.
0: Yeah, that's uh, huge. H- it's huge to have an, as someone to impact your life like that.
2: You know, it's weird. Like, there's a bunch of small little moments where, you know, one or two individuals can really, you know, just through caring, just through listening, just through, you know, showing concern and, and, and not jumping to... Rash judgments without full understanding of the situation—you know—they sure. can make a deep impact in people's lives. And I think most people have, hopefully, have one or two
0: people like that in their lives. Yeah, yeah. Someone to just listen.
1: You know, I I actually I I really like that. I want to kind of expound on it just for a second. There's there's a <clears throat> sometimes those people they impact us, but it might not even be right when we know them. You know what I'm saying? Like I had yeah. some people. Throughout that time, yeah. like 18, 19 years old, that really impacted me, but I didn't realize it until you know 10, 15 years later. When you look back, When I, look no, back, I didn't and either, and I, yeah. and
2: I fought it the entire way, like <laughs> you know that sure, you're gonna make me better, <laughs> dragging me down the hall, kicking and screaming on my way to you know, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I can't, I, I can't um, punctuate enough, like how important you know those critical teachers and coaches and you know just really it can be
0: anyone you know anyone that that lets you speak and um, listens to you it's just there's something really um, powerful when people let you
2: talk for sure agreed I mean I think being able to express yourself is one way that you can get all of those pent up emotions out you know and and I think you know especially for the generation that, that I'm in you know, boys were encouraged to boys don't cry, right. don't complain, don't whine. You know, you know, you, you just you just put your head down and you bull through stuff. And and in some cases, yes, you need to do that. Like that's an important character trait to have. Yeah, but there also needs to be another side where it's you're able to respect, have your feeling about things. Yeah, like, agree. Yeah,
1: totally. Yeah. So tell us about so so low self-esteem, low confidence, all that kind of stuff. Um, what else were you struggling with at that time?
2: Um, you know because of that I think I you know I started to turn to, to drugs and alcohol you know um, basically basically anything that was just kind of I, I could turn off reality and I didn't have to deal with you know what was going on I didn't have to think about things you know I could just escape you know and mm-hmm. and I, I from what I understand of addiction you know that's a, a lot of people's stories just, I just need to get out of here for a minute. I just need to get yeah. out of my head. Yep. There's yeah. too many things going on in there, and I can't. I can't. You know, like my wife says. Um, you know, when she talks about getting overwhelmed, she says it's like trying to catch confetti. <laughs> yeah. You know, oh, and I yeah. think that's a perfect. I yeah. think that's a perfect metaphor for like you know when you're overwhelmed and when things just aren't going what, well. What it know, feels got like, all these yeah. floating around. Um, so yeah, with the I, I never did anything. You know, I, I never got into heroin or, or cocaine or you know, anything plus well, yeah. until later. But in high school, yeah, I never did any hard drugs. Um, you know, I, I smoked a lot of weed. <laughs> and, uh, as we and do. Drank, yeah. <laughs> and drank almost every day. You know, I was um I, I was shoplifting to support that habit.
3: Yeah. Right. You know,
2: so I was I was really just going down a very uh, a road that doesn't end well for anybody. Right. You know, I wasn't a productive member of my community and um you know, in fact, I, I may have been a drain on my community at that point.
1: I remember telling myself when I went through all that, I was like, you know what? When I decided to change, I'm like, you know what? If there, there's only two ways out of this, it's prison or death um, or, or, or both. And I'm like, you know what? I I got to do something different.
2: Yeah. And that's why, that's one of the reasons I eventually um, joined the army was because I didn't see many other ways out. Sure. I I knew I wasn't going to be able to pay for college. Like I just knew that. And by the time I graduated high school, I mean, I think my junior year of high school, I had like a point uh, a seven grade point. average something <laughs> yeah. ridiculous. Like, you know, like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not getting into school, yeah. you know? So I, I needed to find another way. Your... I needed to find another outlet. Yeah.
1: And I think a lot of people can relate with that. I think people listening can. can oh, absolutely.
0: I think, More people can relate with that than about anything.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It was just a very chaotic point in my life, and, and, you know, I needed to find a a place to escape to. And then the army gave me that that place to escape to Um, and actually provided a really structured environment that kind of helped. You know, we'll talk about it later, but, you know, in some ways it helped me, in other ways it hurt me.
0: So let's get into you joining the Army then. I think that's the
2: next really yeah. big well, thing. Of, yeah. yeah. There's kind of two stories about that. I joined the National Guard in um, 1997. Okay. Um, when I was 17, um, this was the end of my junior year, so kind of my rock bottom basically. Well, my rock bottom at that point, Yeah. <laughs> and it gave me something. It gave me a goal to, to pursue that I don't think I had. Um, something that I cared about, that I, I wanted to achieve. You know, I was able to at that point, like, kind of separate myself from some people who weren't the greatest influences on me, and you know, kind of really knuckled down and you know, actually graduate from high school. Um, because if I didn't graduate, you know, they were gonna, you know, they were gonna avoid my contract, and I, I wasn't gonna be a member of that, you know, that team anymore. Yeah, um, and, and I really wanted that. You know, so after I graduated high school, I kind of uh, floated around for about a year trying to decide what to do. Um, I eventually wound up getting laid off from uh, my job at a a plant out there. And just, I needed a change. I needed a change of scenery. I needed a change of people. Um, I just needed a drastic change in my life. So I walked into the recruiter's office and said, um, hey, how soon can I go from National Guard to full-time Army? And sign me up. Two weeks later, I was, on the road to Colorado. That happened relatively quick in my instance, I know, some people's story is a little different. Yeah, did
0: you have to go to Colorado to um, get a new MOS, or did you just keep your old MOS?
2: So I initially enlisted in the army as a combat engineer, and I was able to keep that MOS. I had already been MOS qualified, um, you know, during the previous two years. So I was able to just, you know, pack up my car, you know, say goodbye to the family, and uh, and drive out to Colorado Springs, Colorado, and uh, uh, started my first uh, unit, the Fourth Engineer Battalion.
0: So um, you went to that battalion, and then that was your first one in the active duty Army side.
2: Yeah, so I've been to a handful of uh, active duty. Uh, assignments over the course of 20 years. I started out in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Uh, I subsequently, uh, after a few mistakes, um, got sent to, we'll talk about those here in a minute, but um, got sent to uh, South Korea, a place called Camp House, um, mm-hmm. for a year. Um, then went to uh, Fort Riley, Kansas. Uh, then I became a drill sergeant in uh, South Carolina. Then I went to uh, Fort Worth, Texas. And I finally ended my career last year uh, up here at Fort Lewis yeah. in uh, Washington.
0: So you joined the Army in, well, the National Guard in 1997, right? Correct. And then, so a couple of so years. What's that? Yeah, 1999.
2: Okay. 1999 was when I went from guard to active.
0: Okay, that's before September 11th, and yeah.
2: Yeah, everybody everybody remembers where they were on September 11th. I right, yep. just got done doing PT One of my buddies came over. We watched the second plane hit the tower, and uh, everybody kind of looked at each other and was like, "We're going to war."
0: What was yeah? yeah was what was happening. the feeling like? Can you explain kind of what that felt like to now know that you're going to war, and we haven't yeah. hadn't been to war for so long, and
2: well, it actually took me a while to get to Iraq after that, okay. um, but. Uh, in in nine eleven when that happened, I think previous to nine eleven it was kind of like being on a football team that uh, practiced constantly, yeah. Um, yeah. but never played a game.
3: <laughs> sure, yeah.
2: and and uh, and then nine eleven happened, and it's like holy shit, it's game time, and we're going to the Super Bowl. Yeah, like it was immediate. They're just uh, yeah. the switch that up had
1: to be the craziest it was, it was feeling. game on. Yeah, there's not even a warm up game like a play, <laughs> yeah. play some you know. <laughs> a smaller story. No, no, it's it's,
2: <laughs> it's, it's, for all the marbles, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so you know. at least your own personal marbles.
0: So then you went to Iraq in what year? 2005?
2: Yeah, in 2005. So I wound up, uh, wound up going to, to Korea, uh, did a tour over okay. there. They, they started sending units over a little bit at the time where wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't the entire army deployed to Iraq, so. I had another duty assignment in the interim, and then once I got to Fort Riley, Kansas, I learned that we were deploying um, within the next year, and you know it was you know it was, it was time to really bear down and and, and,
0: and did you just did you just get to that unit?
2: I had just got to that unit. I oh, had just become a right. uh, sergeant. They um, surprise you about with- a month prior. And yeah, I got to that unit. I kind of knew, uh, you know, they have a patch chart, so you kind of understand which units are going. Yeah. Um, and they tend to fill. They tend to fill units before, you know, about a year out. So that you know, there's a, there's a cycle that uh, that the army uses to to ramp units up and and prepare them to go. You know, I was part of that cycle, got there, understood what was ahead of me, and you know, I think that's when I really decided to drop all the the BS. Yeah. You know, the, the uh, yeah the drugs, the messing around, you know, and really get serious about. Was nine eleven, 11 or 05? 05. Oh, 05 when I realized I was going to okay. Iraq. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just kind of made me understand that, like, I'm not only responsible for me, but I'm responsible for the guy to my left and right, and I want to be the best. I, I don't want somebody else to get hurt because I couldn't pull my weight. I couldn't do my job. alone. Yeah, and, um, right. and in order to do that, I need to be in the best possible state I can be.
0: So, where were you in Iraq?
2: Well, I was uh, stationed at a place called Camp taji which is north. I think it's still there, uh, actually, um, but it's just north of Baghdad, um, and it's a long uh, route called Highway One that so basically runs the, the width north and south of Iraq um, through all the major centers. Okay, um, so mm-hmm. it's the main artery. Um, at first, when we got over there, we were supporting EOD and providing uh, EOD security. Um, so we were basically running all over the place, getting bombs diffused and collecting evidence um, in yeah. order to track down people in, in the network. Uh, some of that included picking up the the, the body parts of you know terrorists people, yeah. and, and other people who had mm-hmm. who had, you know been injured in those attacks. You know, and that was
0: yeah. At I time, think that's you the know, thing. We I think that's the thing people don't grasp. Those bombs are going off. If a civilian walks on the bomb, it's going to go off.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's ways to make them more discriminatory, but you know, in in 2005, you know that the insurgents were evolving, you know, and that was becoming their main method of attack and, you know, those bombs just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and doing more and more collateral damage, you know, and, and you know, the, the the people over there were really struggling because they're caught between a rock and a hard place. They're caught between, you know, the mighty force of the U S army. So they're trying to yeah, the appease. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Trying
0: to appease both sides.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's when right. you know, when, when we leave an area, you know, the bad guys move back in and, and anybody who is there helping us, you know, they, they didn't have a very good time about it. So it's a very complicated situation. Um, that time in my life, you know, it's um, it was exciting. Um, you know, yours kind of like like what everybody says. You know, it's boredom, just yeah, such utter boredom and, and repetition. You yeah. know, punctuated by hurry up and wait, extreme chaos in, in the craziest ways. So,
1: how do you deal with that? Know, was, like mentally, how, what what are the things that go through your mind when you're when you're like? When you're thinking those thoughts, like the boredom, the repetition, and then the chaos, like what, what goes on? What do you tell yourself during those, those moments? What, yeah, what's going on?
2: Well, you tell yourself to stay frosty. You tell yourself that, mm-hmm. you know, you tell yourself that you need to have discipline, Sure. you know, and the people around you need to be disciplined enough to, even though whatever we're doing is monotonous or mm-hmm. boring or whatever, that it's important and that it, it, uh, failure to do your job correctly could have catastrophic consequences. So, sure. you know, that's how you push through, you know, when it's 140 degrees outside and uh, you want to yeah. take, you know, your hundred pounds of body armor off.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, no, you just don't because you know, you're, know you you're disciplined and, and you understand what the consequences of you know, that minimal action could be. So yeah. I think that's how you get through it. And then you get yeah. through it with humor. Um, you know, I, a lot of, uh, military deaths have a lot of gallows humor kind of mentality and it, it makes sense and you know I don't, I don't think a whole lot of people sometimes get it how dark that humor is or um, well, it's not funny you're talking about you know you're joking about dismemberment and death and but those are the things that are around you yeah. so mm-hmm. if you don't joke about it yeah, what, you, what you would, else are you going to do like, Yeah, You have, have to find
0: a way to some?
1: laugh at it and make it bearable yeah or else you it's going to
2: break you. You have to find a way deal. to rise above it you don't exactly. want, it. yeah. You don't exactly. want it
1: to break you, and then you're. I mean, you got guys that are frozen and they can't do. Yeah. they can't do anything. For sure. For you know, sure. I li- I like what you said there, that because I think other people can relate, even if they haven't been in war, they haven't done that kind of stuff. But the repetition, basically telling yourself that you know I, I have to keep going, regardless if the, if it's 130 degrees and it's super dry, and every time you take a step, the powder rises up, and you're you're like in a in a a, a desert. But it's like almost like snow. Anyways, I had a friend kind of explain it that way. But yeah, you d- you have to keep doing what you're supposed to do, and people can relate yeah, with that even just in life. Sometimes there's mundane yeah, things that we got to do. For it, sure, it can suck in the moment, but having that mind that mindset of resilience and that that iron will
2: will get you through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes the only way is through. You know. There's no way around. There's yeah. no way under. There's no way over. Sometimes the only right. way is through. And, and so that you know, that's an important trait that I picked up. You know, from all that training is like sometimes you just gotta how to eat the elephant. You eat it one bite at a time, and you just gotta get through it.
0: Um, so you're still in Iraq, right? Yes. Okay.
2: Um, so, so at a certain point, my job switched. Um, you know, we stopped doing EOV security and we started doing this new thing called route clear. So basically my dumbass—I can I say <laughs> my, myself, my idiot self, um, <laughs> decided that it would be a great idea to drive up and down one of the busiest uh, highways in Iraq and look for those bombs, um, you know, in order to help find them.
0: And what um, vehicle were you in?
2: At that point I was driving a thing called a Buffalo. Okay. So, um, the Terminator, we got Terminator, the Transformer series uh, had one in it uh, briefly. Uh, it's just this giant six-wheeled truck mm-hmm. that almost looks like a boat sitting on six wheels and then has an mm-hmm. arm that comes out the front. Yeah, but it's a—it's uh, an MRAP, it's mind-protective, and it's probably one of the beefier uh, vehicles. It's definitely the most beefy vehicle we had at the time. Yeah.
3: Um,
2: and so it's designed to absorb those explosions. Mm-hmm. I experienced several inside that thing and i can say that without a doubt saved my life. you know over over a dozen times and And yeah and would it like get
0: the vehicle out of commission or did you just load it up and go again
2: uh depends you know sometimes you know we get the windows peppered and we'd have to change those out you know Mm -hmm. um sometimes you know pop a couple tires you know but you know, sometimes there was some hardcore damage that was done and, you know, the vehicle needed to be, you know, sent back in and you and needed to get a new one. Yeah, You know, just mm-hmm. uh, depending on the, the level of, you know, I mean, the, the damage varies um, depending on, you know, how that, how those explosives are placed and how much, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of different variables. But Yeah, I think that's where, like, the MPBI um, kind of comes into the story. I don't know if that's still like a catchphrase MPBI or whatever, but uh, basically, you're inside a fishbowl with a lid on top. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you know when when those explosions go off, you know it's it like rattles. a can being, It's like a can being crushed from the outside, and you're inside, and you just feel all that pressure. Yeah, um, it's got to go somewhere. Um, you wind up absorbing it. I would much rather absorb it that way than you know without being into Buffalo. That's what, that could be a lot worse. But I think those repetitive pressure hits to my head—they yeah. definitely knock off my equilibrium. Um, my balance will never be the same as it was. Yeah. Um, I now get seasick sometimes, which never used to happen. And I used to be a rock climber, and I, I, I'm not afraid of heights. <laughs> <laughs> do you, I don't trust myself in the balance arena.
0: Do yeah. your ears, like, constantly
3: ring?
2: For sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it, it. sometimes it's more noticeable than not. When there's a lot of ambient noise around, I mm-hmm. can't through the ambient noise to uh, hear conversation yeah. as well it
0: does it kind of sound like definitely impacts me. Does it kind of sound like being in a like large stadium full of people? Yes
2: yeah yeah and just, you know I, it's a weird feeling to describe like it is a constant ringing and you know buzzing in your head um, sometimes it's more noticeable than mm. others
3: yeah, yeah.
2: You know, but it just makes it difficult to interact in a large
0: group setting. I had that same issue with my traumatic brain injury, and it's uh, just so um, almost deb- uh, debilitating in a way.
2: Yeah, yeah, and, you know, it, it impacts a whole bunch of different things, you know, like your sleep, you're laying there, it's quiet, you're trying yeah. to sleep, and all you can hear is this ringing in your head, like, you know, yeah. somebody yeah. won't turn off the school bell. You know, and then that can get, you know, like anything, it's like, you know, being pestered by a mosquito after a while, like, that'll drive you nuts.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, have you ever fallen asleep with a mosquito in the tent with you? Or
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> so what was, what was that, uh, what was that quote? <laughs> uh, but if you don't think that you're, if you don't think that small actions can affect big things, like, have you ever slept with a mosquito? Or- <laughs> yeah. I the, Yeah. the, yeah. the, the yeah. thing, but yeah. Yeah, like, like little things can do big, big damages over the long term. You know. Yep. Sure.
0: So, did you notice these
2: effects
0: while you were still in Iraq, or was this something that you noticed later on?
2: Um, back then, uh, they well, you know, now the army is very focused on CPE, you know, and, and uh, you know, brain injuries, and but back then, you know, like I said, the the those tactics are just evolving so you know we would get concussions and you know you're good you got a concussion you know it's it's fine so you know you go back to the hooch you throw up over the course of the evening drink some water and you get back to work in the morning you know
0: drink some water and
2: take some ibuprofen (laughs) and change your (laughs) socks and you're good to go like those are the three things that a person needs to survive
0: yeah So you were changing jobs and doing route clearance, and you were yeah. experiencing like being blown up uh, multiple times. Yeah. And so was that pretty much how your Iraq tour tour? Yeah, yeah, ended?
2: Um yeah, I mean, we had a successful year, you know. Um, you know we, we we did have some losses in our unit, you know, but overall, you know, we accomplished the mission that we were sent over to accomplish. And, you know, our time came up, and we went out with the unit that was coming in behind us, tried to give them the best information that we could, and, uh yeah, we we went home. Um, Right before we went home, I had got off mission, and, you know, i have been up for a couple of days, finally get to sleep, and then somebody's banging on the door to my hooch. I get up, I'm pissed, I open up the door, and my first sergeant's standing there, and he's like, Hey, bud got orders you're uh, you're gonna go be a drill sergeant. Fuck <laughs> <to> you and slam <laughs> the door. I, like I couldn't handle that. About yeah, point. <laughs> yeah. I just want to sleep, man. Like I'm not looking. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> Get
0: used to waking oh, no. up.
2: Yeah. So yeah, that's um, we went home. You know, we we demobilized and and, uh, and reset. You know, and uh, at that point. A lot of us got orders to go be drill sergeants and recruiters and you know, go to different units and share the knowledge that we had with. Is uh, that of kind force.
0: of kind of the army's method is to get people right off of deployment that are sergeants?
2: Yeah, it definitely was at that point in time. You know, there's uh, there's different milestones you need to hit in your career. Um, you know, and, and for an enlisted uh, guy like myself. Uh, you know, being a drill sergeant or a recruiter is kind of one of those things that most likely one of those is going to happen to you. And so, yeah, yeah. I got back and, you know, told my wife we were moving to South Carolina. Went to went to drill sergeant school at uh, Fort Leonard Wood. Um, somehow managed to graduate that madness. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, uh, promoted myself to E6 in route to my new duty assignment as a drill sergeant. Yeah. And when I say promoted myself, I mean, my orders came through, but I was not currently assigned to a unit, so I just switched the patches. <laughs> yeah. I, I was legally promoted to staff sergeant.
1: Yeah. So what's that like you, from, from you going through all that, but then, like, being the the one that gets to yell at everybody else? That's how, that's how I imagine a drill sergeant is the guy that yells at everybody, right? <laughs> <laughs> so... So, so, is it is it yeah. fun to tell orders, or I am mean, you got to be just as disciplined as them, right? Because you you got to get up earlier, you got to wake. I mean,
2: right? Yeah, yeah. You definitely have to be on. You know, you have to be on your game. You know, they say that you know the, the top ten percent of NCOs in the army are chosen for that specific job, and they expect you to act like it. So, wow. You know, it, it, you definitely need to step up your game because you're you're working around people who are at a, a next level of professionalism that sure. I don't think you know you you encountered yet at that point. You know, so you know you're you might think that you're in the top ten percent, but you know you're walking into a group of people who are all who are all the top ten percent. Yeah, so, right. right. You, know, you might be you might be on the bottom of that pile, bud. Unless you uh, unless you put in some work. <laughs> but yes, um, being a drill sergeant was on par. It, there's two jobs that were my favorite. Um, while I was in the uh, first one being uh, drill sergeant, the next one being 15 sergeant, which happened a little later. But both of those jobs, I felt like I was exactly where I needed to be, doing what I needed to be doing. And, you know, having that feeling of, just having that feeling like, you know, it, it, it changes your mindset, you know, and it yeah. changes. And yes, there's a lot of yelling that goes on. You sure. know, my, my job as a drill sergeant is to provide the chaos
0: it's like uh, yeah, creative sure. hazing,
2: Yes. you know I mean and, and the nothing more that nothing that we're doing is going is, is you know intentionally to be harmful yeah you know right. but what I'm trying to do is provide a level of stress that you have never before experienced yep. so that when you experience it again, you know that you can handle it right right you know, and that's my job to provide to provide you the trainee with some chaos yeah,
1: right
2: and, and I think I was pretty good at it.
0: Most drill sergeants are, like, it's
2: just a
1: (laughs) certain type of person that they get for those jobs, and they nail it. Did you ever feel any inadequacy? Like, did you ever feel like you weren't qualified for the job? Was there, like, a... Oh,
2: yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, everybody I worked with was way smarter than me, you know, in better shape than me. Mm -hmm. Like, it was total imposter syndrome. Like, I gotta fake it till I make it, because... These people are like top tier people. And again, like I, I think I had beaten a little bit of that inadequacy feeling that that we talked about earlier. But, you know, that hangs with you for the rest of your life. There's a lot of, there's a lot of times where I just feel like, okay, you know, I'm in this room. I don't deserve to be in this room. So, you know, I got to prove that I deserve to be in this room. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense. Oh, no, it does. Yeah, it totally I does. Definitely, I definitely felt that way, and it was definitely um, a motivator. Well, cause to go I, back to the drill sergeant thing, just one thing I wanted to say real quick is that, that the best part about that job is not by like, yelling, creating chaos. You know, that stuff's fun. You know? mm-hmm. But the best part is I'm seeing people glow. I'm seeing people gain confidence. I'm seeing people... You know, and, and I'm the facilitator for that happening yeah, for their personal growth. That, that would like be like to me, that that was the most incredible thing to be a part of. How am I that you know, this fuck up? <laughs> How am I like inspiring change in these other people Mm -hmm. and
0: did that did that help you with coming off of a deployment to have something else to think about because you're on on clock pretty much all day every day when you're a drill sergeant yeah Mm
2: -hmm. yeah it's a seven day a week job for you know two to three years and so yeah it it definitely distracted me from it definitely distracted me from some of the feelings that I had from my mm-hmm. deployment, some of the post-traumatic stress that I was experiencing. I yeah. couldn't focus on that because I had to focus on this other task that was ahead of me.
3: Right. You
2: know, so I think it kind of delayed my, my healing. Um, but it was also very good for me in the fact that, you know, I could focus my energy and my anxiety and my, uh, I, I could focus that in a positive direction and positively impact others. Cause these kids, you know, at that point in time, they call them kids. We're all adults, you know. These men and women knew as soon as they get out of ten weeks of basic training and whatever uh, AIT or MLS qualification school they were going to, they were going into theater. They were going to Iraq. They were going to Afghanistan. And I had the benefit of several years of training mm-hmm. leading up to my deployment. They don't. They don't get that.
0: Yeah, I-, I think it's three to
2: six months in the pipeline, and they're standing on the ground, you know on the front line of
0: freedom yeah it might and be also, a different so. type of soldier nowadays
2: yeah i mean it, it definitely there's
0: ads and flows it definitely evolves so um you're a drill sergeant and you seem like you really loved that job and so what But what was going on with your home life? Like, was being away from your wife really hard and really taxing? What was going on with that?
2: So, as far as home life goes, yes. You know, I I had gotten married a couple of months before I deployed to Iraq. So, I'm gone for a year straight out the gate, you know. Um, It's hard to have a relationship over Skype. Skype wasn't even really a thing back then. Was like uh, Yahoo Messenger, you know, <laughs> the basic form of communication back and forth. So it had definitely impacted, me, you know, my my marriage at the time. And then, you know, coming home, I don't think fully dealing with all the stuff that I went through in Iraq. And there's, you know, there's her side too. The the, the families go through things when you're gone that you're not mm. able to be there to fully support them. Sure, you know, so there, there's definitely two sides to that story. And then throwing myself into my work which you know I couldn't avoid
0: yeah you basically um, had n- had no choice
2: yeah I was oblivious I thought things were going well I thought I was managing everything um, like
0: with your marriage you know, stuff,
2: and stuff with my with my marriage and my family life, I okay. thought I, I thought I was being as balanced as I could be you know but I think now in retrospect that maybe she had different ideas
0: um, so that ended in a divorce.
2: Yeah, so I did two years as a regular drill sergeant, and then I uh, went up and taught at the drill sergeant school for um, about eight months.
0: So um, like teaching other drill sergeants?
2: Yeah, teaching new okay. drill sergeants how to be a drill sergeants. Um, so now, I, you're, I in, now, the now you're in the
1: 1%. <laughs> Instead of the 10%, <laughs> now he's in the 1%.
2: I'm a little fish in a very little pond. Yeah. Huge fucking fish. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs>
2: yes. No, it was, it was a good experience. I really enjoy teaching. And so I was able to teach rifle uh, marksmanship to people who had, you know, they had already been through basic training. These people had, you know, 10 years of experience. They had combat experience. And
0: right. But, I was able but to you had game. to teach teach them so they knew how to teach their recruits.
2: Yes. Yeah, because okay. there's a big difference between I know how to do this thing and being able to translate it to a group yeah, of 16 absolutely. people with no experience you know so we kind of focused on that you know how to how to up their game individually but also you know hey this is how you do it on a large scale mm-hmm. so that that was that was really it was really interesting i really enjoyed my time doing that but you know once i got done with that i uh, i got the worst orders like uh, i'm sorry for any of your listeners that live in el paso but i was <laughs> It got Central El Paso and I was not happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> so my uh, ex-wife at the time was um, a semester away from graduating from college in South Carolina. Uh, we decided that I was going to move to Texas. She was going to stay in South Carolina and finish up her degree. And then the night after Christmas, so the night of the 26th of December, I left South Carolina and you know left my wife there and moved out to Texas. And, and that's when things really started to fall apart for me you know I, I thought i had it all together i thought i had like figured out and then you know i realized that later that you know I'm, I'm not so smart i can't predict the future
0: it's uh crazy how when you're all wrapped up in something you can think that your other life your home life is going perfectly good and and um yeah. come to come to find out it's a shit show
2: yeah you know so i i, I want to avoid you know the Discouraging anybody but you know the, the situation with me and my ex-wife didn't work out you know for multiple reasons i think anybody who's been divorced can understand the complexity of that you know but at that point in time you know i, I spent about a year alone in south carolina in you know or i'm sorry in like uh, texas in a empty three-bedroom house you know just me and my dog and my job as everything else in my life just seemed to crumble around me um,
0: I, I feel like so, that would be a really um just depressing way to live with um I'm sure you just like to be working and outside of your house and not having to be in that situation
2: yeah because when you're you know when you're isolated like that there's only a couple of things you can do yeah you know, and, and one of them is sit there and ruminate over all this stuff that's going on and just Think deeper and deeper into your own bullshit and which, depression,
0: which evolves right. sometimes into suicide or whatever.
2: Yeah, it can, and I almost became a victim of that. You know, the, I, I almost became one of those numbers. You know, I, I I didn't receive a promotion that I thought I deserved. My my uh, marriage completely fell apart. You know, I, I wasn't. I hadn't really dealt with all my demons. You know, so those started creeping in. Now, you know, they found they, they, they found the door cracked, and they right. started pushing through. And um, yeah, so I I started drinking a lot. If I wasn't at work, I was drunk, and uh, just and, to yeah, deal just with like life being life home evolved rapidly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, just to deal with being home and try to escape. Yeah, you know, again, you know, with the, the alcohol and the drugs. And, just trying to escape feeling these bad feelings like I don't want to feel this way. And so one night, um, you know, after a, a bottle of whiskey and a bad phone call, <laughs> I sat in my garage uh, with my gun and my dog. And, you know, I almost ended my life that night. I was very lucky that someone reached out to me um, on that day. I of the boys, somebody I hadn't heard from in a long time. You know, just one of my friends, just calling to check in and see how I was doing. They they had no idea that I was at. Do they in now? My life. Uh, yes, yes, I told them. Okay. You know, but yeah, they had no idea the point that I was in my life. And that phone call, I think, saved me from, from killing myself which is hard to say you know like yeah. there's so much great things that have happened since that point in my life like my life has completely turned around 180 degrees and like i couldn't be happier and i would have missed all that because you know mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to create a permanent solution to a temporary problem you know so yeah um and having you know that's where you know just reaching out to your friends you know is huge it's important mm-hmm. you don't you know, like, on Facebook, everybody puts on their happy face and yeah. shows you what they wish their life was like. But you never really know about them. You never really get a peek behind the curtain, you know, unless you're actually reaching out to people and talking to them like, oh, shit, you know. They might be showing one thing, but that's, that's just a mask. Everything else is falling apart. And so I'm eternally I'm eternally grateful that, you know, I mean, I, mean, I would have hurt so many people by, by doing that. I would have hurt yeah, so many people.
0: Yeah, well, and that's... The thing to think about, because when you take your own life, it it affects so many other people, you know.
2: And yeah, and in that moment, you can't think about anything but yourself, you know. So anybody who's out there that is going through shit, you know, everybody's going through shit. But anybody who you know, is, even if even if that tickles in the back of your mind, reach out to a friend, talk to somebody. I know it's I know it's embarrassing to To lay your soul there and tell people that hey, I got problems, I yeah. got big problems, that I don't know how to deal with. I'm getting overwhelmed. But please, reach out to somebody before you do more damage to yourself. Yeah, and, absolutely. The people who really care about you
0: and good message. Like yeah. sometimes just having a place to tell your story, even um, that's kind of my idea with this podcast right. is to get people to a point to be able to tell their own stories and, mm-hmm. and for kind of a therapeutic, um, relief.
2: Yeah. Telling your story is so cathartic. Oh, know, yeah. Yeah. The first time I told somebody that like, yeah, I was close to killing myself. Like I yeah, had the gun in my hand. Like I was ready. I yeah. was there. Well. And it wasn't just being able to have a community you know, or tell somebody or just that catharsis is indescribable. How much of that helps! You know, you can't hold things in. You know, like, like we were talking about. You like, you can't just be. You know, I'm this tough guy, and I just, I just hold everything in, and I just eat it. I, I push it down into that box. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's so damaging to you. It's so damaging to the people around you. Like, go talk to a therapist. Talk yeah. to a friend. Talk to talk to God. To talk, talk to, to
0: someone. Uh, even talk if to it. Your, even if it's so like just thing, journaling, if you yeah. feel more like comfortable.
2: Yeah, I would talk to my dog. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. As crazy as that sounds, like I would talk to my dog, like my dog Gus. Like he he helped me through it, man. You yeah. know, like he's a German shepherd and he's a big dopey idiot. But <laughs> at that point in my life, like he was my best friend. Too. He was my best friend. Like yeah. he, he was my reason to keep going. Like, yep. well, who's hey. going to feed Gus? You so, know, like where's he going to wind up?
1: Some people uh, talk to volleyballs, so, you know.
2: Yeah, (laughs) Wilson? Yeah. (laughs) yeah. Tell all your problems to a... Talk to a coconut, I don't care. Like, talk to somebody, you know, that's the point. Yeah, that's the point. And I think that you guys are doing such good work, like, giving people exposure to the fact that they're not alone. Like,
0: like just the
1: opportunity to speak.
2: Yeah. Our stories might all be different. Mm-hmm. But yet, they're all so similar. They are. There's they a common are. theme you know, it's amongst condition these. condition for a reason.
1: So, what did you do? Yeah, so so was, af- after after all that, like, and you decided to change. You you decided to change because of that phone call. So, what did you do? What were the the next steps that you did to to create a happier life to where you're at now?
2: Well, this is gonna sound silly, but I just really committed to the idea that I said to myself, I. I'm going to be I'm not happy right now, but I am going to be happy. And so I just decided Mm -hmm. that I am going to be happy. I might not be happy in this moment. I might not be happy with anything that's happening right now. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to be happy. And that set me on a path of like, you know, well, what do I want? And and take it till you make it, man. You know. You know, you don't need to fake your happiness. That's not what I'm saying. I'm Mm -hmm. saying, you know, you know, just do things that make you happy. Like I got into woodworking; that's been so therapeutic for me. Like, there's nothing better than planing down some, you know, some rough cut piece of wood and turning it into something beautiful. You that's know,
1: cool. yeah. I don't have that skill, but that uh, that's cool. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I don't have that skill either, but <laughs> I aspire to have that skill one day. You know, when I take things into my wife, and she's like, "Oh, good job." I mean, that's so cool. Um, um, want to put that in the garage <laughs>
0: <laughs> you got married again is that the next yes. step or whatever that is okay
2: that was the next step so <laughs> okay. i reconnected with i reconnected with a friend from high school you know and then we just started talking we were both going through it you know you know i really found an ally in life um i found somebody who was as self-worker as i wanted to be
0: well, it helped. Yeah, and it helped that you already knew this person, right?
2: Yes, yes, indeed. You
0: yeah.
2: know, so you um, grew up you know, with was, them. Yeah, you know, we we kind of circled around each other in those high school years, you know, and then we lost contact. You know, just through serendipity, we you know we wound up finding each other at the perfect point, yeah. in, in, in our lives, and right. I can't say how incredible it is to have a partner a partner in life like you know I don't know like I I love I love getting married to this woman you know like I yeah. love yeah it's awesome. yeah you know, she gets me we're, we're the yin to each other's yang like mm-hmm. you know she's a little more high-strung sometimes and I'm <laughs> mellow and then I'm a little more high-strung sometimes she's mellow and just like cutting out you know we call each other out on our bullshit you know and and you just find the glove that fits Yeah. Sometimes I got lucky. You know, I found the one that fit. have got two great kids. Like,
1: oh, that's great. Changed my world. How
0: soon did you leave for Afghanistan after your you got
2: married? Well, you know, I, I don't learn things correctly the first time, so I have to do them over and over again. So, oh, man. so I, I got I got married um a few months before I went to <laughs> Afghanistan. <laughs> awesome.
1: You had to have thought. <laughs> a couple like, of reasons. This, is, yeah. this is. I mean, I yeah, can repeat the same the
0: thing. potential and... <laughs> to either yeah. end one in two well, ways. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: But you knew what you wanted Christian this somebody, time, you know? <laughs> right? You knew what you yeah, wanted. I knew what this I time. wanted. Yeah. You know. I mean. You know my my ex wife uh, just wasn't the person that i was meant to be with you know there, there's people that are in your life for a season and then there's people that you know are, are in your life for a lifetime and, and they're both equally important you know I, I learned from that first relationship what i had done wrong you know and, and where i made some mistakes and you know now i'm able to apply those lessons through this new relationship and Great. hopefully not repeat the same mistake um but yeah so i went to afghanistan in uh, 2011. And, man, I was off the chain. <laughs> that, was a, that was a crazy uh, experience. <laughs> so the, the big difference this time was, you know, when I when I went to Iraq, I was basically responsible for myself and, you know, the two other guys in my truck.
0: I um, want to ask you really quick if in yeah. Iraq you had up-armored equipment.
2: Yeah, we had up-armored okay. Humvees, um, you know, and those uh, some of the MRAPs were just barely... Uh, being fielded and coming into existence. By the time we got to Iraq, or I'm sorry, by the time we got to Afghanistan, uh, what would that be like, uh, like six years later, yeah. um, you know, things had changed and, and the fielding was complete. There was there was a lot of heavy equipment. So yeah, is
0: that so what made it better?
2: Better is subjective. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I, I slept in a hooch on uh, my first deployment, you know, in a basically a, a Trailer, a modularized trailer thing, where there was like two people to a room.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. you
2: know, in Afghanistan, I, me and my platoon, we slept in big GP medium tents, and you know, mm. just out in the middle of freaking nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what? I, mean, it, it, I don't know.
0: What were was your rank then?
2: So initially, um, initially, I was still a staff sergeant, okay. but I had been uh, selected for promotion, and I was just kind of waiting for. You know, once you are at that level, once you are selected for promotion, you get put on a list. You are numbered, and then as the army needs people in those positions, they promote you. So, Mm -hmm. I was already a platoon sergeant, but I was still in E six. I was just waiting for my number to get called to Mm -hmm. to get promoted to E seven, yeah, or sergeant first class, yeah. And yeah, I was a platoon sergeant for that. I
0: feel like um, a sergeant first class is almost the most important job in the entire army.
2: I loved it. Yeah. I I loved it. Like I had a, a group of thirty two animals that were my animals. Yeah. You know? Yep. Like it, it was my zoo and I was the it was so great, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, my lieutenant was an amazing guy. Dan was an amazing guy. You know, we we got each other. You know, he's very different than I am. I think that dichotomy helped.
3: Yeah. You know, mm-hmm.
2: but we were both of us were always focused on what's best for what's best for the for the boys, you know?
3: Yep. Right.
2: Um, you know, when, when we would get together in a huddle, you know, before we go out on mission, you know, and we'd all put our hands in the circle, brothers on three, one, two, yep. three brothers. Yep. And, and it was like that. We were that's brothers. Awesome. And, oh, that's great. And, and to be, it was an incredible to be experience.
0: leading be, that kind of group of people is gotta be the most, the, the right? best, healing ever
2: that was the most rewarding experience of my life like i I no longer i no longer feel like an imposter um in that sense like
1: some healing just right there yeah
2: i i came into you know i I had the perfect group of people i was in the right place at the right time doing the right thing and it all just kind of came together we were very lucky we had a lot of injuries but we never lost anybody and any you know any um Convoy that followed my route clearance platoon never got hit. 100% that's successful. Awesome. And that is all due to the dedication and the discipline and the hard work that those 32 men and one woman put in. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Day after day yeah, in austere environments, in crazy situations, in terrifying situations. I couldn't, those people. Uh, it was an amazing team and it's the highlight of my life i'm not prouder of I, I don't know it's amazing
0: and it sounds like your deployment to iraq and afghanistan are kind of um i don't want to say polar opposites but in a way they are pretty different
2: yeah i mean there was still the same death and violence and mm. hardship and boredom punctuated with insanity but i felt more connected than I think I ever felt before in my life. Um, so that was important for me. Seems like um, your
1: your attitude was different. Your attitude yeah. changed.
2: I think so. It's hard to it's hard to like self analyze that, like right. figure out where where the flip switch. I was terrified. I've never been more terrified in my life. Like the decisions that I make yeah, have it like, changing a effect, lot effect of on these people. Yep. There are guys right now that are dealing with lifelong injuries due to decisions that I made. Decisions that were unavoidable, but decisions that I made. You mm-hmm. know? And but everybody executed to the best of their ability. Everybody was dedicated and and it was just the epitome of a team. Yeah. Like I can't I don't know.
0: So did that affect when you were speaking with your wife, did that affect your attitude compared to Iraq or was it kind of the same thing?
2: I think so. Um, You know, I I think that my mentality was different and I think that my wife's mentality was different than, than previous, you know? So I think that we were both going through things at that point in time and she was able to be there for me. Like I had a cell phone, I was able to call home Mm -hmm. you know once a week you know we were able to have conversations that weren't you know being overheard by other people so we were able to go really deep with each other you you use that
0: time to learn about each other mechanism for each other
2: yeah we were were able to be a support mechanism for each other and you know she was dealing with different things than I was so I had a different perspective because I wasn't embedded in it and the same for me like she had a different perspective you know Mm -hmm. she was at home taking care of the lives of these guys that, you know, yeah. were working for me. So it, it, I don't know, just, it kind of added to each other. It brought it definitely brought us closer. It was definitely, sh- you know, shared hardship. There's something to be said, like shared hard hardship creates strong bonds um, that can't be formed any other way, you know, and I, I think not only with my routine, but definitely with my wife, like that shared hardship was a foundation that we could build upon
0: later. Yeah.
2: Got to get through it, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, your deployment to Afghanistan, you would say, is like kind of the highlight of your career, at least, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, um, or a thousand percent. I think once, once that tour was over and I got home and I had time to process things, I think I kind of lost some was my excitement for my career because I had had such a high high, such a pinnacle um, that a lot of things felt dim in comparison. You know, I was still a dedicated, you know, hardworking person. It was hard for me to imagine that there would ever be another experience that could compare to that. So it, it, was, it was hard to refocus and just go back to, okay, well, now this is more of a job than it felt like before, you know. But
0: so, how many years did you still have to serve, like, before you could retire?
2: Um, so I retired in 2019 when um, I returned from Afghanistan in 2012. Okay. You know, so there was a significant, there was yeah. a significant time, you know. And and I, I those jobs that I had, and things that I did, that I loved, you know. I'm not, I'm not, I didn't really give up. I think some of the some of the shine was taken off of it. I you know, I was put into positions that were not as team focused, you know, more administrative jobs and more bureaucratic jobs. Um, yeah, so you know, after I, I got back, um, you know, I still had struggles. Um, you know, that deployment was not all roses. you know. Sure. Like I said, those people that were injured and due yeah. to my decisions yep. not to my negligence, but decisions that had to be made and Mm-hmm. I struggled with that a little bit, you know, and I I, I dealt with that a lot by I don't want to say punishing myself, but I would go to the gym and I would punish myself. Yeah, you know, like like yeah, you know, it, it felt like when I went to the gym to run, like I was running from the devil, you know, and I had to get had to get that. There's a when you're when you you have such a high stress load for so long. And then that stress disappears. I think that your body wants to, in some way, find a way to recreate that stress. because That's your baseline. And so, so I would create, I would deal with that chaos by, you know, creating more, going to the gym and, you know, pain therapy. Right. I don't know any other way to describe it. Yeah. I love
0: that kind Um, of therapy. (laughs) It's the best.
2: Now that I'm retired, I'm, I'm a little more way back. <laughs> yeah. But at the time, sure. like it served its purpose, you know, and it, it really helped, you know.
0: When did you retire at what age?
2: I retired, uh, two months before my 40th birthday.
0: Okay.
2: Uh, from the army, you know, and it's not like I'm, I'm rich and I'm never going to work again. Yeah. On the retirement, you know, nobody, nobody joins the army to become a millionaire. And if you do, you're an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, started to think probably about three years, um, before started to think like, what is my next step? Yeah. I hadn't really thought about it. You know, like yeah, I was it's so,
0: that's a weird I time so in life. In yeah, that's a weird time in life to have to be forced to think about that. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it's like you know, I I've been doing this since I was seventeen. You know, and it was the one thing that I knew I was good at. You know, it was the one thing that I knew that I had in the bag. You know, and now I'm I'm stepping away from that. There was reasons to step away from it that were good for me and good for my family, but also like, well, where do I go from here? Like, hmm. holy crap. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know how to make this pivot.
0: So um,
2: what was so that, that pivot? Was, that was extremely stressful. It was a process. Uh, it, you know, I, I had to sit down and kind of self-analyze and figure out, you know, what do I want out of my life? Where do I want to be? And how do I make that happen? And what do I enjoy doing? doesn't matter how much i'm getting paid if i if i don't enjoy what i'm doing i'm gonna suffer my family's gonna suffer for sure i, I need to find something that aligns with you know my interests i tried a couple of different things uh, initially i thought i was you know gonna be uh, i love teaching i love teaching adults um that yeah. was a big part of my career
0: kind of a uh, um, drill sergeant
2: hugely enjoyed yeah yeah a little bit <laughs> And, you know, so I thought, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll be a corporate trainer. So I was really kind of headed in that direction. And then I got blindsided by another opportunity that I really didn't see coming and it turned out to be, um, really great. Um, so I think you just kind of have to be open to, you know, you have to plan for the future and you have to be looking for opportunities because you also have to be open for,
0: and you always have to be willing to
2: learn. Indeed. You're never done learning if you're done learning, you might as well be dead. Uh, you know, if you think you've got it all figured out, you're self deluded right? <laughs> Totally. You, you don't. Nobody does. you know. So, uh, I got an opportunity. I love working with my hands, like I said. I, I love I love uh, carpentry and woodworking. So, I got an opportunity to uh, join a local union up here in, in Washington and uh, become an HVAC technician um, mm-hmm. doing installs, you know. So, that really, you know, it's, it, The only person I have to worry about is me. Right. My learning. Yeah. You know, um, I'm an apprentice. So I'm one man on the totem pole. I don't have any experience.
0: a lot easier position to be in.
2: In in some respects. You know, I had to give up that feeling of power to make those decisions, you know, because I don't have the experience to make informed decisions. So I had to let go of some of that power, which all in all it worked out, you know, but I get to, I get to go in, Every day, I get to work with my hands. I get to build something tangible that I can see at the, at the end. You know, and I get to show my craftsmanship, you know, and I and I get to focus on uh, learning something entirely new that I never expected that I would be even remotely uh, involved, you know. So just being open to new, uh, new experiences and being open to new ideas. If you don't know where, if you don't have a, like, like if you don't know, I want to be a, uh, brain surgeon yeah. and you're just dead set that this is my goal and this is where I'm going to be, if you're kind of out there like, well, I don't really know what I want to do next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, just kind of sit back gotta, and think yeah. to yourself, well, what is, yeah. what is you gotta it that I enjoy have doing? That? Yeah.
3: yeah.
2: Yeah. And then just be open to, you know, new opportunities. It's scary. It's scary taking a taking a leap and, you know, completing a, a, a right
1: turn. So what, what keeps you motivated and why? Like what, what keeps you motivated in your now, now that you're, you totally have changed careers, you're totally, you know, living a, a pretty much a different life than what you were past 20 years. So what motivates you now?
2: Yeah, definitely living, definitely living a different life. Uh, what keeps me motivated is my family. Like they've supported me through so much and, and now I'm able to, you know, I'm able to give them more time, more of my time, more stability. You know i'm not gone all the time i'm not
3: mm-hmm. you know
2: gone six months out of the year so, yeah you know different training events and things like that and uh mm-hmm. yeah my family is definitely a huge motivation you know they kept me afloat for so long and now it's my turn you know to be able to learn something new which helps me you know but i'm also able to be there for them a little bit more than i was able to before so that's a great job.
1: oh yeah that's great i don't know what i'd do without mine i gotta have my family seriously <laughs> <what I'm> <laughs>
2: Connection is so important, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't need to be a traditional, uh, what is it, 2.3 kids, mm-hmm.
3: husband
2: and wife family, like, your family can be any tribe that you make, yeah, but it's important sure. that you have a family. Totally you know, we're, we're very tribal as human beings, and we need that sense of community. Uh, some people need a bigger community than others, some people just need a very small, tight-knit community, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever fits, you know, whatever hand fits your glove, you know. Yeah, um, But, but for sure. Connection. Is most important, real honest connection.
0: um I love your family. I've met you. Yeah, you do.
1: Yeah.
2: I've... You're part of my family. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Pec- <laughs> technically,
2: I am. So, well, not even technically. Like, you know, we're bros. So, so, so that's... Yeah, I'm really excited. To... Yeah, go
1: Oh, you no, know, I want you to be excited. So, go ahead and finish that <laughs> statement.
2: <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm really excited, um, especially with this podcast and, like, you that's know. Great. Like, I'm, yeah. you Shane, like, like pushing forward with this thing. Mm-hmm. We're going to keep like, going. I'm, right? I'm yeah. super excited Absolutely. for you guys. Like it's, it, it's a really awesome I, format. I, th- I think you guys are doing a great job and I, Thank I'm you. digging it. So yeah,
0: I really feel yeah, like I, this I'm could really
2: be, happy to be a part of it.
0: Yeah. I really Thank feel you. like this could affect a lot of people and yeah. that's, yeah, that's yeah. what kind of what my whole life purpose life goal is to, um, like, base, basically, change the world. And how do you yeah, do that right. by changing
1: one person's life at yeah, a time?
2: Right. Yeah. That's yeah. That's yeah. Right. You, you do it by being my mosquito, but. <laughs> yep. Yep. Stop.
1: Well, dude, it has been awesome having you on our podcast. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share with, with people out there? A message, some something just to inspire?
2: Keep swimming. Um, yeah, like I said,
1: we've said that on, like a, on said, a previous <laughs> podcast. That's great. Just Keep swinging.
2: It's awesome. There's a so theme. Like, you know, like I said, I I would have had I had I completed my suicide attempt, yeah. I would have missed out on so much goodness that oh, yeah. happened in my life. Yeah, you know, and you need to decide to be happy. Yeah, you know, if you don't make you know if you don't make that conscious choice, like this is what I'm going to do. And God damn it. I, nobody's going to stop me from being happy. You know, as long as you're not hurting other people in the process, lay your free flag. Why <laughs> go out there and be the best you, you can be, you know, and, and be happy. Life's too short.
0: That's
1: words. We can all live by. <laughs> okay.
2: Well. well, I hope I wasn't too long winded.
1: No, it's all good, man. This this has been really great. I'm glad people are able to hear your story. It's
2: been fun. It's been fun, and I appreciate the invite. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: absolutely. For all those out there, we would like you to, uh, you know, to share, like this, share it, subscribe, please, because that really helps our growth out. It does. It does, and you can get the message out to other people. Yeah. Well, it's been awesome having you on the on the show. Um, and uh, being here, you guys are awesome. All right, right. talk to you soon. Okay.